What's up my wonderful self-improvers? It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development, one tip at a time. Get comfy and put your thinking cap on because it's time for a self-improvement sit down. These are some of my favorite things to do. Basically, instead of sharing a two minute quick tip about personal development exercises, mentalities, reflections, and understandings, in self-improvement sit-downs, we cover topics that can't possibly be covered in two minutes. We hear from industry leaders who are the very best of what they do and tap into their expertise so that we can make progress from their example. If you like the two minute tips, don't be alarmed, I'll be back with another one tomorrow. But for now, Let's dive into a fascinating conversation. This is Self-Improvement Sit-Down number 36 with Naveen Jain. And we are live. Today's guest is Naveen Jain. Naveen is a billionaire philanthropist and entrepreneur who came from very humble beginnings in India, moving to the United States with only $5 in his pocket and a dream. Naveen is the founder and CEO of Viome, revolutionizing the way we access and make decisions about our gut health and essentially making illness a choice, not an inevitability. He's the founder and CEO of Moon Express and is committed to visiting the moon. He's also the founder of Blue Dot and Infospace, and as you can probably hear, Naveen has a truly unique way of approaching the world, problems, business, and human potential. Naveen, thank you so much for chatting today. Well, Brian, it's an honor and a pleasure to be talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm very excited for this. And there's one thing that I left out of that description because it's what I want to talk to you about first. You're the author of a book called Moonshots, and it's actually how you've branded yourself beyond all of the CEO titles. This is more of your personal brand as just someone who dreams so big. And it's fitting because you're incredibly inspirational and it, you've truly defied limits in a number of ways throughout your career. And you encourage so many others to dream as big as they can and do the same. So first, I'd love for you to just kind of elaborate on that. If you could tell us a bit more about what it means to take a moonshot and why we should all be thinking about what our own moonshot is. Yeah, Brian, the moonshots are these crazy ideas, at least seemingly crazy ideas, that when people hear about them, they think, you must be crazy to even think that is possible. And to me, when you tell someone what you're about to be doing and they don't think it's a crazy idea, that means you're not thinking big enough. Mm -hmm. Because day before any, any breakthrough, the idea is considered a crazy idea. The day after the breakthrough, it's considered an obvious idea, right? So to me, the only limitations we have as a human being is our imagination. But people tend to put lots of limits on themselves, right? Even the people who love us the most, I, you know, I always tell a story about my mom. When I was young, I remember my mom will keep saying, you know, Naveen, you're so bright. You can do anything you want. Sky is the limit. But she put it right there. The sky is the limit. To her, that was nobody could ever cross that sky. And she never probably understood that sky is nothing but a figment of our imagination. Hmm. There is no boundary called sky. When you go from here to the moon, you don't say, hey, mom, I just passed sky. Sky is our, you know, imaginary boundaries we put. 
And by, you know, interesting thing is every day in our lives, we find our new sky. Oh, I can't do that because I'm too young. Or I am told I can't achieve that because I don't have the right connection. Or I can't do that. My sky is because I don't have expertise in that industry. And all of these things are actually the limitations we are putting on ourselves because the fact is the less you know about the industry, the better off you are in terms of disrupting it because every expert, the best they can do is to make it 10% better. And if you are a non-expert, you can make it 10 times better. To me, the power of this naive thinking, and it's never about thinking outside the box. It is about thinking in a different box altogether, bringing the expertise of from complete completely different industry, applying to a new industry and completely rethinking, rechanging, reimagine the foundation of what experts have taken it for granted. And it, it sounds like it's kind of a counterintuitive a- approach, which is unfortunate because there are so many people that put on those limiting beliefs and you know they, they self-impose all of this pressure or these expectations that limit what their human potential is. And I'm curious, I guess, on the back end of that, you're talking about how we all have this capacity to dream and this capacity to create. But what is it about human nature that keeps us from doing it? Is it comfort? Is it like, you know, falling to standards and tolerances? Or or what do you think it is about people that keeps them from allowing themselves to dream? I think it is uh, the two things. One is, you know, the society essentially starts to mold us into thinking what is possible, what is believable. And as a child, we are born with this unlimited amount of curiosity. Mm. And over time, our curiosity gets killed because we are told constantly, no, that's not possible. No, that cannot be done. No, you're going to hurt yourself. No, you're going to fail, right? And the society is constantly taking the childlike curiosity where the child wants to be able to say, why can't you fly? And one day when people are flying, people are going to say, you know what? We knew it could be done, right? (laughs) If you look at every crazy idea, it is someone's dream of a childhood dream. They thought that was possible. And when they grew up, they had the financial resources to make that happen, right? So two main things that are really stopping the humanity and each one of us realizing our full potential is uh, the, you know, lack of intellectual curiosity. We are no longer are constantly in the pursuit of learning. And the second thing is this fear of failure. We are somehow told that thing you do, and if it doesn't work out, you are a failure. Mm. And to me, the failure only happens when you give up. Your ideas may or may not work, but every idea that doesn't work is simply a stepping stone to a different idea or maybe even a bigger idea, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, these are the really the thing is if you can leave a child with the intellectual curiosity of just like when they were young, and we as an adult, for somehow we feel as a teacher, as a parent's, It is our responsibility to take the child to the water and make them drink. We're going to get them into the best school and we're going to force them to learn rather than simply making the, you know, kids thirsty. Because Mm -hmm. when you make someone thirsty, they find their own water and they drink. So the trick is how do you create that thirst? And the thirst comes from this curiosity that I keep talking about. To me, uh, you know, I remember when our kids were young, there are a couple of exercises we always did. 
you know most uh, you know most parents will you know read the nighttime stories to their kids i would sit down with them and come up with the words that were completely non connected and say tell me a story about these uh, that connects a monkey and an ocean and a uh, and a moon right and now they have to come up with a thing that things that are just you know on the surface don't connect how can they possibly connect together it allows them to start to imagine all the possibilities and then i say now pick the three words that you think just cannot be connected and let me create a story for you that how it could <laughs> all happen and come together and you know just a exercise that allows people to stretch their imagination breaks the laws of physics i mean you know to some extent i look at the magic right or you even you look at the, some of the things that we call magic or mentalist it is really a way to fool our sensors the human sensors into believing what you're seeing is defining all the laws of physics and defining the laws of gravity mm. and basically what you're doing is simply bending the sensors because they're not quite designed to be perfect and that allows you to see what is possible right so anyway my point i'm trying to make is that if we can get that idea of a, in any time our kids will come to me and say you know that that just can't be done and i say simply hold for a second now imagine for a second it could be done what would that world look like you know what if it was actually possible what can really happen here and that allows them to start imagine the world that they can possibly live in imagine the world that they can create to me if you can describe the world that you want to create in a vivid color and vivid details you can create it so mm -hmm. to me never live in the world as is live in the world that you want to create for yourself and for the rest of the humanity I love that philosophy. I mean, I, I relate that back to something that I believe deeply, which is that our perception is just a product of our different sensors, as you put them, but basically the different senses that we have. And we can only make sense from what our senses are telling us. And if we choose to believe that, that there's this only limited picture of the things that are going on around us, then we can't possibly access the full picture or know what the full picture looks like. So it's only by getting curious and being observational and by thinking about all of these different ways that maybe these concepts connect that isn't immediately accessible or intuitive. That's because we just can't use the current hardware we have, the senses that we have to be able to step into that level of understanding. I think what you're touching on is a really interesting subject because, you know, what is a reality? The things that we call reality are based on a, what I would say, species-specific sensor. Mm. So we as humans have a very limited bandwidth where we can see the light, very limited bandwidth of what we can hear. Now, if you and I were talking and I say, look, hey, Brian, do you hear Taylor Swift? And you say, this guy is a cuckoo. There is no Taylor yeah. Swift playing. What if the point is it is actually playing? It is right here. It's because if you can put a shortwave radio or FM radio, you can hear it. That means that all the radio waves are right there. It's just that our ears can't hear that. So we need an extra sensor like a radio to be able mm. to capture that thing that is already there. Now, the society would consider you as a cuckoo because you hear things that they can't hear as opposed to saying, oh my God, look at the ability this person has. The bats can see in the night. We can't see in the night. Somehow is that unreal because what bats see or what dogs smell is that unreal because we can't <laughs> smell it, right? 
So my point is, what is the reality? Reality is limited based on our sensors that we're given as a human species. But what if those sensors can be enhanced? What if our neocortex could be enhanced to see and connect? What if? It is possible for us not to be limited by this. Uh, you're probably going to laugh at my example of, you know, 300 baud modem. In the early days, there were no internet connection. You had to pick up a dial modem line, which is a phone line. You would dial up into an internet and it would be like a really slow, you know, slow, slow uh, things that are coming to your thing. And today, when you and I are talking, I'm using this 300 baud modem, using my speech to convey my thoughts to you and everyone else who's listening to it. Now, imagine this could be a broadband connected just like we are connected on this broadband internet. That means my brain can communicate directly with your brain and everyone mm. else. And what if even people can subscribe to each other's brains? So the what knowledge Brian has today, and as Brian is learning more every month, I could just upload that knowledge into my brain. So I don't have to go to a college to spend, you know, four years of my life to learn. I, why can't I just upload that brain from the professor? And now I have all that knowledge that I can absorb. You are just next level. See, like, I mean, that's why, that's what, stands out about you and the way that you think and, and the way that you operate is because like you don't take anything as given you want to understand the reason why you want to question the assumptions you know you want to really push the boundary and i think that's such a perfect example just literally is knowing that our reality is our sensors and the way that we perceive things to be then if there's a faith that there's a reality beyond what you perceive then there's so many things that are working that you can't perceive but you can trust and that's kind of where like the law of attraction, some of these things that you can't measure, so to speak, with your own kind of hardware, but there are, there's other evidence of it in other places. That's just like some of the things that like really validate that philosophy. And it's so important to tap into it because if you want to truly be abundant, and that's actually the subtitle of your book is creating a world of abundance. So I think it all ties back together is if you want to truly be abundant, that you need to like have faith in your humanity, in your limitations as, hum as a human. And then grow upon that, knowing that there's so much more to access. And, and I, again, kind of like on, on the back end of that thought, because the way you think is so fascinating, you know, what you have a tendency of doing is approaching these situations and asking new questions that activate new ways of thinking, because what got you here won't get you there. And, and it's so important to be able to like start activating these new systems and processes and kind of pathways, because then you can start getting different outputs or different ways of thinking. And, and that's kind of a philosophy that you have in general when it comes to problems and problem solving. And, and you even mentioned it is uh, that it's a strength to come from a place of little experience, which I think is so fascinating. And I'd love for you to elaborate on what that means and how you truly believe that because it, it involves asking different questions. And I think it's so profound. So, Brian, I'm going to actually, you know, maybe incorporate a new framework that I have been thinking about that anytime you want to start an audacious idea, an audacious thing that you think uh, that is something you're obsessed about. Right. So I think I have this framework now that says ask before you start something, ask yourself three questions. Why this? Why now? Why me? Right? And I'm going to see if I can apply all those same questions to my new company that I started four years ago called Wyom, which is a healthcare company, really looking at fundamentally changing if we can create a world where being sick is a matter of choice, not a matter of bad luck. That means making illness optional, right? So mm -hmm. the first question I asked myself was, why this? 
And the question there really is, God forbid, you are actually successful in doing what you're about to be doing. Is it going to help 100 million people or a billion people live a better life? If the Mm. answer to that is no, then why are you wasting your life or decade of your life into something that is not going to move the needle? So in this particular case, when I said I'm going to start a healthcare company with a simple purpose of uh, preventing and reversing chronic diseases, and the answer to why this was, God, if we could do that, that's going to help the 7 billion people live a better life because mm-hmm. aging uh, is a chronic disease. I mean, you know, the reason we age because we are chronically, actually, uh, uh, you know, chronologically we are aging, but these biologically we are aging because there is a constant amount of damage being done to our body. Now, second part of the puzzle is why now? And the why now means is what had changed in the last three, four, five years that allows you to solve this problem today that couldn't have been solved a decade ago. Mm. That means, are there new set of technologies, new set of circumstances that have actually come about that allows you to solve the problem today that wasn't possible before? And the reason I say that is, you have to believe that you're not the smartest guy in the world. If the same technology you're applying was available 20 years ago, somebody would have solved it, right? So point is, there had to be something new that allows you to do that. Sometime it is more of COVID happened, the world is different today than it was a year ago and you know what the problem of telehealth that was not you know was possible to do uh, you know two years ago is actually becomes very relevant today right sure or in our case we say you know to prevent and reverse chronic diseases the three things need to happen you have to be able to digitize the analog body. That means to be able to understand from all the biochemistry, convert them into digits, right? So ACGT. So you know exactly what is going on to be able to, that means cost of sequencing the body has to come down from $1,000 to $100 down to $10 to make it possible. Second thing was, now you have massive amount of data that you have collected from analog body, how are you going to be able to process it? That means cost of processing the data has to come down Hmm. and no longer require supercomputer. Guess what? AWS was starting to solve that problem. And the third thing was, you have to be able to decipher this massive amount of data, which is a powerful AI, and that was starting to come together. So confluence of these technology allowed us to say, you know what, now is the time to digitize decode and decipher the human biology that will allow us to prevent and reverse chronic diseases. Now, the last part was probably the most interesting part, which is where I'm going to answer your question. Why me? And why me has two parts to it. Number one is, as you mentioned, that what is it that you think that is different from what everyone else in the industry is thinking? That means what question you are asking that is different from what everyone else is asking? Because most entrepreneurs believe they have to have the right answers. In my world, I believe you have to ask the right questions because you can find experts to give you the right answers. Mm. So the question you ask is the problem you solve. And I can give you in both examples. In the case of Moon Express, when we said we are going to be able to create a multiplanetary society by starting to live on the moon, then move on to the Mars, Venus, and beyond, the first question people always ask was, what, you know, how are you going to grow the food on the moon? Because the world believes the only way we can live there is to be able to grow the food. And what if, in my world, you could ask a different question, why do we eat food? Because when you ask the question, why we eat food, you can suddenly say the only reason we eat food is because we need energy and we need nutrition. What are the ways we can get energy without growing food? Hmm. Could it come from radiation? 
Could it come from photosynthesis like plants do for the nutrition? What do you need? Do you need hydrogen? Do you need oxygen? What if there is water and there is evidence of water? Don't you have hydrogen and oxygen already? And suddenly now, if you were only asking a question, how to grow the food on the moon, the only solution was to find a way to grow the food. But if you ask a different question, why we eat food, now you have 10 different ways of solving that problem. Mm. Now, applying them to healthcare, we see it, it is clearly evident that all the chronic diseases are coming from the gut, like Hippocrates says, all diseases begin in the gut. Now, if there are tens of companies doing the microbiome testing, why is the problem not getting solved? To me, the, the, all of the companies were asking the same question. I want to know what organisms are there in the gut. And I say, wait a sec, that will never be the problem because guess what? Like human beings, this, there could be thousands of different organisms producing the same thing that's causing a disease. So if you focus on looking at two people who all have diabetes, they may have completely different organisms. You will never be able to know why people have diabetes. But what if you can ask the question, I want to know what they are producing. I want to know what they are, what chemicals are they producing because our immune system doesn't have eyes and ears. It simply senses the chemicals. It's a biochemical body. Now, are the right question to ask is what is being produced in your gut that is causing you to be sick rather than who is there? And that simple change of question allowed us to find the technology that allows you to measure the gene expression of the microbes rather than the genes. Similarly, it allows you to measure the gene expression of the human body, not the genes, because your genes don't change when you develop a chronic disease. So that means asking a different question allowed us to solve the problem very differently. And the second part of why me is you have to be truly obsessed about solving this problem. Mm. That means you not just i think you know as you know my philosophy is passion is for hobbies the obsession is for solving problems right hmm. you have to go to sleep thinking about it you have to wake up and jump out of the bed thinking about it and one way to know you are you obsessed or not when you wake up in the morning and you don't jump out of the bed whatever you're working on is not your true obsession hmm that was extremely powerful. I mean, just for you literally to walk us through the different questions that you've asked in those two different settings is just like, it's just us being able to open your brain and really see how this operates. Because, because I mean, that's the point is like, sometimes when you're an expert or an expert in your field, then you've learned something in such a traditional way that you don't even think to question it. It's just, it's assumed to be true. And when someone comes as an outsider, they can introduce new ways of thinking, new thoughts about like, hey, why is that true? Or why is that important? Why is that what we need to measure? And in doing that, that new question opens up a whole new possibility of what actually needs to be solved versus what is currently being solved. And I, I just appreciate you like really walking through that step by step. It's encouraging me actually with uh, some of the projects that I'm working on. I was talking to you about my work with Mark Metry to ask these three questions, why this, why now, and why me? And I think it's really compelling because then it helps you to actually grab onto the value that you're trying to create. It's not just a, a knee-jerk reaction to a problem. It's a in-depth, comprehensive, really thought through solution that's going to be sustainable and it's actually going to address it in the right way. So I think that is, I think that's just an incredible, incredible lesson that we all just had. So thank you for sharing that. But the the next question, I know everyone's thinking it and I'm thinking it. The next question is, okay, like, how did you get so good about talking about these things if you don't know 
the industry, right? So it's like, if you don't know about the microbiome, you don't know about, um, you know, jet propulsion, like what things can you do to educate yourself to get up to speed so that you can actually kind of go toe to toe with these experts and ask them questions that question their belief system, because you need to tap into their value. So like, what are the things that you can do to actually be able to access that? Yeah, so the Brian, that's a very, very interesting question because, uh, you know, now I have started seven companies in all completely different industries. And every time I enter a new industry, the first thing I do is I read a lot. I just read a lot. And I never read one uh, book on a subject. And the reason for that is if you read one book, the author's view becomes your view. But if you can read 20 books, what it does, it allows you to get 20 different opinions of what is going on in this field. And then you create a very unique opinion that is, allows you to connect the dots from all these different people and create and form a 21st opinion, which is the only thing that comes. Mm. The other thing that I think is really, really something that everyone should do is I read a lot of research papers in that industry. And the reason for that is what is in the research in the lab and the academia today is going to be out becoming mass market in the 10, 15 years. That means you can literally see the crystal ball of what is going to be coming 10 years from now by simply looking at what is happening in the labs and academia today. So when I entered this field and say, I want to do something about chronic diseases, I went and started to look at seeing what is causing people to be obese, what's causing people to have diabetes, why is such a high prevalence of colorectal cancer, why are more people developing cancer, why is more people developing Alzheimer's, why are more people committing suicide through depression, why there is so much anxiety. And then it turned, once you start to look at the lab, they were all starting to point to, oh, your oral microbiome, your gut microbiome, all these organisms that are in your body. And it turns out 99 percent of all the genes that are expressed in our body are not our own they come from these microorganisms that form a symbiotic relationship with humans that means without them we cannot be alive they keep us alive right so point was by doing that four years ago when i was there i still remember talking to our kids who were much older I was telling them, I said, you know, I'm going to start this healthcare company. I'm going to look at the gut microbiome. And they decided they need to have a family meeting because dad has gone completely senile now. Going to the moon was one thing. Now you're talking about solving healthcare. Dad needs to just retire and decide into sunset. Now. Mm-hmm. This is not what dad can do. And they all told me that this is completely a crazy idea. How can you possibly think you can disrupt healthcare? And what is this microbiome thing? Nobody's going to ever do this thing. I don't know where you come up with these great ideas that nobody (laughs) nobody believes them. And I said, kids, just sit and watch the dad in action, right? (laughs) Two years later... Every one of our kids and say, you know, dad, my friends keep calling me. Can they, they want to get hooked up with Wyoming? <laughs> they all have the protein. They all have the gut issues and they all keep asking me about Wyoming. So whatever you're doing, it's working. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, intuitively it makes sense to me and I don't know much about gut health. I'm actually studying it as much as I can because I realize how influential it is. But yeah, I mean, intuitively it makes sense because you're born and you're healthy and then over time you become yeah. unhealthy. So what changes between that you know, that healthy state and that unhealthy state. And it's it's not your DNA. Your DNA is fixed. It is the expression of your DNA. And that's why I think your approach to really measuring the RNA sequences, like the, the proteins that are being produced and the actual byproduct of the microorganisms and your own gene expression is, yeah. is much more informative in your health than just looking at DNA sequencing. And I think if I understand correctly, that's kind of the nuance of what Viome does versus competitors. Exactly. Uh, but it's, 
That is awesome. exactly right. Brian, by the way, so if you tell me you're not a scientist, you explained that to me in a perfectly great way. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a neurobiologist, so I'm familiar with some of the, uh, some of the vocabulary, I guess, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Um, <laughs> cool. And I mean, and I, I'd love to, I love how you even mentioned that of like an example of you taking your moonshot about the healthcare industry. And we don't have to get started about how upside down it is with pharma companies and everything. Um, but, but like taking a moonshot and sharing like, hey, this is what's on my mind. This is what I believe in. It's your crazy idea, right? Is this disruption to the healthcare industry? And then people don't agree with it until you actually start asking these questions and you generate these outcomes and these new ideas that are actually kind of providing some solutions that other people didn't think of. And then people start being converted to your side. Um, and, and I think that is just representative of that second question, which is why now? You know, the new technology that was available for us to be able to um, actually evaluate the different components within our gut and like this RNA sequencing. And that's where I want to ask the next question is, you know, with technology, it's just accelerating at an unprecedented rate. It is unbelievably booming, right? I mean, it's undeniable, which means that these problems that didn't have the technology previously, they're soon going to be able to be solved because this why now is so true. Like it's so possible now, given the acceleration of technology. And, and I already know, and we've already heard how big you think in terms of human potential. You mentioned a interplanetary species. You're talking about disrupting the healthcare system. But when it comes to human potential and the technology that's emerging, what is the future of humanity? Like, what do you see is next in terms of the way that we're going to behave, the problems that we currently experience that aren't going to exist because they can soon be solved? Like, what is your vision for that? Because I'm sure you have an idea. Well, first of all, Brian, uh, you know, this is the if you look at the future of humanity, it is unbelievably bright. We are living in probably the most innovative decade in the human history. Right. And so if you think about these in the next 10 years, there is no doubt in my mind, we will get rid of cancer. Wow. We will get rid of chronic diseases. That means people are losing their memory because of Alzheimer or dementia or people dying because of cancer or people are having these diseases that they have to live with, whether it's an autoimmune disease or diabetes or pick a name you want. All these things or depression or anxiety will completely go away. And what we really believe is the food is actually the medicine. And I think for some, whatever reason, every doctor who goes through a medical school knows about Hippocratic Oath, which is do no harm. Right. Mm. And then they forget what Hippocrates actually said. He said all diseases begin in the gut. And then he said the second part, let food be thy medicine. Let thy medicine be the food. Mm. And not a single medical doctor actually believes that food is the medicine because they they're they are taught in a medical school. You give me the ill. I'll give you the pill. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's literally what it is. The whole I mean, you know, we were talking about not to go there, but let's, I'm going to go there for 30 seconds, right? <laughs> Especially our medical industrial complex in the United States. It is so backward where everyone in the system makes money when we are sick and no one makes money when we are healthy. So I mean, true. how effed up is that system? Yeah. I mean, think about that for a second. As opposed to saying the system is designed to keep us healthy, the system is designed to keep us sick. If you have a chronic disease, they just got a lifetime subscriber. Mm -hmm. now, now, I'm not suggesting they are bad human beings, but they are in a system that is designed against people being healthy. Right mm -hmm. Now, coming back to it, 
to answer your question, what is going to happen to the humanity in the next decade or 25 years from now? And I think some of the things we started out with this, you know, imagine when we have nobody dying from our chronic diseases. Now, I think what is really going to happen would be you're going to have a health span that is going to be for the rest of your life. Wow. That means it's not about simply living forever. It is about living healthy as long as you live. That means you're not going to be last five years of life. You're not going to be saying, God, I wish I could die, right? It is really the point would be that we will not have to suffer through this constantly degrading body. Now, could that means we could live forever? The answer is there is nothing here that says there is a boundary to how long can you live. Hmm. Why is it that turtles can live 300 years or sharks or whales can live 400 years? What is it in the human body that says you cannot live that long? The answer is absolutely nothing. It is just that we have never ever experienced it. So we see it's not believable, right? But Let's assume it was possible. And then people say, oh, my God, what are we going to do when there is a population of 7 billion? Now we have 20 billion people living on Earth. How are we going to sustain? And the answer is many. First of all, we live in less than a few percent of the land anyway. What if we can live on the ocean? And point is, what if where is the scarcity of the things that we fight over? The land, right? Now, imagine we are a tiny, tiny dot in our own solar system. Our solar system is a tiny, tiny dot in our galaxy. Our galaxy is invisible in our universe, and our universe may be completely invisible in this multiverse. So Crazy. where is that scarcity that we are talking about? Right? <laughs> we, what if we could live anywhere? So there, is, I mean, there is plenty of places to live. There is plenty of water. There is plenty of energy. I mean, every 90 minutes more solar energy falls on planet Earth than we use in a whole year. It's simply a matter of conversion, and that... <laughs> Shall, that too will happen, right? Wow. In 10 years from now, you're not going to have that problem. You're going to have a, energy will become the next air. Air is free to everyone. It's democratized. We don't pay each other for oxygen. <laughs> we breathe. And interestingly, we don't fight over it. You and I can be sitting next to each other on a stadium and we never say, hey, Brian, stop breathing. You're taking my oxygen. And people, because point is, because we inherently believe it is abundant. So what if the energy could be the next air, so abundant and it is freely available to everyone. That means once you have free energy, you can desalinize the water, you can distill the water, you can have a free, fresh water mm. for everyone that we fight over, right? <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make is we talked about communicating us, uh, you know, using brain-to-brain -brain communication, extending our neocortex by connecting it to the cloud, and suddenly you have a massive amount of processing power that is not limited to this physical neocortex that we have because what if we can connect that to the cloud and you have unlimited amount of memories that we can store we have unlimited amount of capabilities that we have as humans and then we can start to enhance all of our physical senses which is uh, your audio cortex your visual cortex and suddenly you'll be able to see the infrared and then you'll be able to you know see the ultraviolet light mm -hmm. and you'll be able to start hearing all the different waves and then you are and again we're going to be able to have ai process all that information and only thing you need to know is what is relevant to you now and here and not all that other information will get filtered out based on our AI. Well, you certainly gave me a lot to think about. That was quite an answer. And I think it's just, um, it's poetic in the way that you even answered that. And you started asking different questions and being like, oh, like why? That's such a good point. It's like, 
why do we need to fight over fresh water? Well, it's not necessarily a fresh water accessibility issue. It's an energy issue. So how can we then produce more energy? Well, the sun already produces enough energy. Let's get more efficient about converting that energy. And then we can be able to desalinate water. And there's your solution. You know, it's just, it is so interesting to think about how your brain jumps to kind of these tangential or kind of parallel solutions that then can be applied to this specific problem. And I think I think there's so much that we all can learn from that and apply in our own lives now that we're aware of it, because that's the first step to anything is awareness. Wow, Naveen, this has been eye opening to say the least. Um, I mean, it's no question why you've been able to brand yourself as the moonshot guy, you know, being able to dream big, because not only have you realized it, but you continue to dream. And it's it's extremely impressive. It's extremely inspiring. And I'm just so grateful for you and, and the role that you're playing in this world. Uh, can't wait to support in whatever way I can. But thank you so much for making the time today. Uh, Brian, it is an, as I said, it's an absolute honor. And I wish you nothing but great success here. Look forward to continuing our conversation. Holy smokes, how valuable was that? That was Naveen Jain, and throughout the conversation, he basically demonstrated how he's trained his mind to think differently. He approaches problems from different angles to discover new ways of thinking about it, cutting down to how to solve the root problem or accomplish the root objective rather than addressing the issue in plain sight. Fascinating. We talked about a number of things like moonshots and how the only limitations that exist about what is possible are the limitations we place on ourselves. That transitioned into talking about our sensors and how we can only perceive a reality that we can sense. But having faith there's more gives us hope that we can make progress on our moonshots. And we wrapped up by talking about human potential, the future of humanity and how it involves next-level technologies that will facilitate a new era of health, interconnectedness, abundance, and hopefully prosperity. We talked a lot about how Naveen has encountered and solved specific problems in his career, most recently through his gut health company, Viome. Naveen is generously offering a discount to anyone listening to this who is curious to learn more about their gut health and how genes are being expressed rather than what genes exist to better understand how your diet and gut might be influencing your mental health and other conditions you're experiencing. I'm not being compensated for this, and after understanding it better, I will soon be trying it myself. At checkout, use the promo code SISD for $10 off. And I have that website linked in the description here. What an honor it was to speak with Naveen today, and what an honor to have shared this time with you. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.